Are you in the purgative state of grace? A podcast brought to you by Soka and the Fatima Center. What are the three stages of the spiritual life? How do you know if you are in the first stage? And how do you distinguish between the beginning from the end of that first stage? What happens if you die while in the purgative state? All this and more is addressed by Kevin Rorty in this 11th episode of Our Ladies Shock Troops, a series dedicated to growth in the interior life. Welcome once again. I am David Rodriguez, Content Director for Fatima Center, and I'm joined by Kevin Rorty of Soka, Soul of the Christian Apostolate. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing great. Thanks, David. And today we're going to continue discussing the interior life here on Our Lady Shock Troops. And what we'd like to do is begin discussing a very important, I guess you could say, an element of Catholic theology when it comes to prayer life, and that's the three stages of the spiritual life. And we'll at least give you a brief introduction to the first three. Today we'll probably maybe just talk about the first one, mostly the purgative. And then in our next episode, in a couple of weeks, we'll go into the other two as well. If we could go ahead and begin with uh, prayer, Kevin. For those of you that are getting familiar with the show, we'd like to pray the Veni Creator, Spiritus, uh, Sanctus Spiritus, the Come Holy Ghost. And we'll, as usual, we'll do it in Latin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Veni Sancte Spiritus, Rete Tuorum Cora Fidelium, et Tui Moris in Eis Inimishende, Emite Spiritum Tuum Creabuntur, et Renovabis Facem Terre. Oremos, Deus qui Cora Fidelium, Sancti Spiritus, Illustratione Docuisti, Danobis in Eulem, Spiritu Recta Sapere, et Deus Semper Consolatione Gaudere, per Christum Dominum Nostrum. Amen. Amen. In the Pastor's Spirit, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right, so um, I guess, Kevin, just to start off, I'll do the easy part, and then you can take it away. Uh, we have these three stages of the spiritual life. Uh, I believe they are the purgative, the illuminative, and the uh, unitive. So if you just want to give us sort of maybe a brief introduction to those three, what those terms mean. Yeah, so what we've discussed so far is the interior life insofar as it's sort of this reality of God dwelling in our soul. We said it's the seed of eternal life, the germ of heaven that's dwelling in our soul. So when you think of a seed, it's not like a seed has no greater significance than being this little brown thing, right? The seed, it has the same DNA of the tree it's going to become. It's the tree in seed form. It's still that just in this small little Nugget, right? And so that's what we think of when we think of the life of grace as the seed of eternal life. It's already begun here below. What we will be in heaven has begun insofar as we get to participate in the inner familial life of God. So consider what is that, that transition like? It's not like, well, here below, it's just this dead seed. And then all of a sudden, it's just this crazy awesome thing, right? To get to that point, there are stages of growth. Not always easy, but that's how, if you look at anything in life that is living, there are stages of growth. Human life, animal life, plant life, everything that's living, there are stages of growth. So the spiritual authors compare this growth of this seed 
to human life. In human life, you could say there are three basic stages of growth. First would be childhood, second, adolescence, and third, adulthood, full maturation. Now, when you're a human, if you end up going, let's say you're seven, and then you act like a seven-year-old the rest of your life, you call that someone who's, let's say, seriously immature, and we've got emotional dysfunctional problems. But yet, unfortunately, we all know some people like that, I think. Exactly, you know. Or if you act like an adolescent when you're 14 years old and you act like that the rest of your life, you know, getting into trouble and being rebellious, not taking responsibility, that kind of stuff. You know, that's a lot of people, a lot of women complain. There's a lot of overgrown males today, overgrown adolescents, you know, who live in their parents' basement when they're 40 years old and they can't do anything, you know, responsible. That's, again, that's a stunted human. So the same thing would apply when talking about the spiritual life. If we don't continue to grow, we are a stunted spiritual being. We're not actually following and corresponding to the grace that's been given us. But not only that, we can go backwards in the spiritual life. In human life, like you can't shrink. I mean, normally, I don't know, when you you, you slouch too much and you don't work out, maybe, I don't know. But for the most part, you don't shrink in human life. In the spiritual life, you can't. So that's even worse than being stunted. Okay. But I mean, in some ways, maybe not with physical growth, but people can, I think, go backwards on that other, maybe, you know, emotional uh, maturity. I mean, I do know, you know, some people who, for example, I would say, like they gave up on life. And so maybe when they were younger and they were raising their kids, they were really mm-hmm. doing a lot and both in the church, but in other places. And then it seems like as they got older, I don't know, they petered out of energy. They got upset. They got jaded with the world. They sort of start huh. shutting down, I would almost say. Sometimes it's depression. Sometimes it's just I'm exhausted. Sometimes it's, I don't know, everybody might be different, but you sort of see them regress. And yep. then they're not as giving anymore. Like they become more selfish. I mean, that can't happen. So while it doesn't necessarily happen physically to us, um, yep. it certainly can happen to an individual in his natural life that he that he does regress, right? And mm-hmm. that, I think, has a, has a real good parallel to the spiritual life as well. Yeah, totally. One of the maxims for the spiritual life is that if you're not progressing, you are regressing. You think of it almost like you're you're in a stream there's a strong current going this way and you're trying to go this way. If you are stationary, you're going to be taken away like that. You have to be going in this direction, right? Um, that's, that's really important for us to, to take into account is that we have to be aiming in that direction. Otherwise we will be taken away. Yeah. And the streams are a great analogy, I think, because it's a struggle to stream upwards. It does take effort. In other words, if you're actually not doing anything, then whether you're aware of it or not, you are going down the stream. And in our analogy, I guess we could say things like the world, the flesh, the devil, those enemies of our soul, they're that current that's pushing us downward, even if we just go with the world. I mean, everything that the world is 24-7, it's constantly coming at you with movies, with the Internet, with the ads you see, the music you hear. You know, we know. We know the world, all the desires. And so if you just think, hey, well, I'm just going to sort of stand still here and do the basics of, you know, maybe I go to Mass on Sunday you know, I say my prayers before meals, you know, that's the extent of it, then it's a guarantee that you're going to be going backwards because the world is exerting a tremendous pull on us. Sometimes we know it, sometimes we don't. And so we've really got to be fighting upwards upstream in the spiritual life, for sure. Yeah, and, and this ties back to everything we were talking about. Fatima, we're talking about 
the state of the world and where the church is going, we're, we're saying there is not going to be room for the fence straddling position of being kind of like minimalistic. I can fulfill my minimal duties as a Catholic in this day and age because there is such an assault from the world, the flesh and the devil today with all of the technology and the ideologies and the temptations that we have to face on a day-to-day basis, it's it's got to be an all-in or you're just going to be swept away. And you can see this now, understanding the spiritual life, all the more why it's important that we set our, our heights truly to aim to be perfect. And so that's another one of the main principles in the spiritual life is that the, the complete fruition of the spiritual life is sainthood. And if we don't attain sainthood, it's not that we're just normal and we're ordinary. We are abnormal. The saints are the ordinary ones because you are given literally the divine life in your soul, power to be made sons of God. And if we don't correspond with that, like normally that leads to sainthood. That leads to progressing all the way through these stages to the completion, the full maturation. That's what it's supposed to do. And every single one of us who are baptized and given sanctifying grace, the life of God in our soul, that's what we're supposed to become. If we don't, then we are the, we're the weirdos. We've, we've got to sort of do our best to get this into, you know, the minds and the hearts of all Catholics because what I see is so common. I'm not sure why this is there, but it's there for sure. Especially when I was, uh, I worked for a while as a youth minister. So you're, you know, with the youth a lot. And then I was also working as a DRE. That's the director of religious education. One of these large, you know, sort of mega parishes in Texas, uh, actually was several of them. And so I was in charge of, for example, amongst many other things, preparing the confirmation students, uh, you know, dealing with parents, dealing with the teachers that were teaching confirmation classes, et cetera. And it was, I mean, it was a big source of frustration for me to see just how many people, and not just the young people, I could see it in the parents, and maybe that's why the young people had it. They looked at confirmation as a kind of graduation, like, okay, this is just something I got to do. This is a box I got to check. Most often they would tell me it's so that I can get married in the Catholic Church, you know, years from now. So I just got to get confirmed. But the idea was, okay, fine, I'll jump through your hurdles and do whatever you'd like so I can get confirmed. And then I graduated from my faith now like i'm done with it now i'm quote unquote an adult in the faith and i can move on and get on to quote unquote more important things and it's like they think that that's the end of it and like they reach the plateau and that's it and i'm like you know i mean we'll talk about this with the seed of grace but this is this is just the beginning you know and sometimes they would get it i mean the best analogy i would use i would say okay let's say you got married and you would think, okay, obviously, you work real hard to find the girl or the guy that you want to marry. That takes effort. That takes time. Not that easy, obviously, getting mm-hmm. harder. But eventually, let's say, you get to the day when you're married. Who among you thinks that that's when it's all over? Like, this is what you were doing. Like, okay, I'm married. I got to the plateau. I'm done with it. Let's just say, you know, my wife, whoever she is, I'm like, I'm done with you. Like, okay, we did it. We're done. We're married. And now I move on to other better things in my life. And I quote unquote graduated from you. Like, that's bizarre. So we don't have that understanding, I think, of the relationship that we're supposed to have ultimately with God. I think that's why marriage to us is so bizarre when I bring this up, because everyone says, well, no, I wanted to start a life with this woman or with this man whom I married. Right. And so it's just the beginning. It's just the Start, beginning. Yeah, and hopefully, right, throughout my marriage, we're growing. 
right? Because marriage is also regress and go forward. Yeah. Got to put the time and the work into it. It can regress very easily. And if you're just paddling or standing still, your marriage is probably going backwards also, right? So I think we really need people to realize that growth. I think that was the key image for me. The spiritual life has got to be constantly growing. And if you think maybe in terms of relationship, that might help you. You know, it'll make more sense. Think of the marriage analogy. Don't ever think it's a graduation. Don't ever think it's done. Yep. Yeah, and so I think that that connects to the first stage, understanding the overall context we're supposed to grow, and then also we have to be willing to put in the time and the effort and begin. And what does that beginning look like? It's not easy, right? But to begin, you first have to be in a state of grace. If you are not in the state of grace, you don't have the divine life in your soul. That's that's the whole point. You know, why being in the state of grace is so important that you need the divine life, you that imprint that you belong with God when you die, because if you don't have that, then you don't belong in heaven. Heaven is God's family. You don't belong in his family unless you have his life in you, which is what grace is. So to just begin, we need to be in a state of grace. Okay, St. Teresa describes... Go ahead. No, I was going to say just real quick review there for basics. I mean, I want to make sure we cover the basics for everyone knows. In this analogy of the growth in life, what we're saying here is that if you are not in the state of grace, you're in effect dead. Dead. Okay, you're dead. There is no life. So we're going to start talking about the stages of life, but right, if someone is not in a state of grace, they're dead. Now, what does that mean? Basically, the simple way of looking at it is if you haven't been baptized, you don't have this yet. Okay, so you need baptism because that's when you first get it. And then if you have been baptized but have fallen into mortal sin, then again, you've lost that grace and you need to go to confession. So we only have two sacraments that we call sacraments of the dead. Those are baptism and confirmation because it's referring to one being dead spiritually. So you know you need to get that sacrament first. We won't deviate onto this right now in this talk because it'll take us way too far afield. But our Catholic faith teaches that's so important because nowadays, especially with the crazy religious indifferentism and thinking that everybody can be saved no matter how they get to God, it's like we forget about grace. And if you're not baptized or if you've gone into a mortal in a state of mortal sin, then you don't have grace. And that's step one. So I think here we'll cover that as a basic, but we're going to move beyond that. And, you know, if you're not in that state of grace, then you got to get there. So you got to get baptized. You got to go make a good confession. Yeah. And I was going to say that St. Teresa describes the soul as like a castle and there's different mansions within the castle. And <clears throat> she says there's like seven and there's different rooms within each mansion. It's not this you know, delineated. This is what the saints generally kind of give. They give ideas that, that correspond, but we don't want to be too fine about it. In this particular instance, everyone goes through the exact same thing. But generally, this is how she described it. Seven mansions. And so you've got this castle, and then there's a moat. And so you're you're in the moat with the alligators if if you're not alive in your soul. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and I don't think, you know, as you were saying, we don't think about how drastic this is enough, that we really... You know, this is why it's, it should just make us fed up when we go to a typical parish or whatever, and we just see a milk toast way of presenting the faith, milk toast music, whatever. Because if we, let's say we went to war tomorrow, is this a priest or are these are these fellow Catholics that I'm ready to go to war with? Do I get the sense like if if they really thought we were in a war, this is how they would act? You know, no, I don't at all. That's why growing up, I felt like it was just such fluff. What we need is a sense that, no, there are. The vast majority of souls today are the walking dead. We are living among the walking 
dead zombies. They are dead in their souls. I had a priest tell me that we're walking through Rome and he's like, we are living among zombies right now. Hello, just look around you. And so that's why it's so critical. We have to see we really are in a world. We're getting shot at, right? Okay, so I was bringing up this mansion because we got the moat, but then it's not like, okay, you get out of the moat and then everything's good. St. Teresa describes the first mansion as like, you're teetering, like you're kind of, like you're just getting out of the moat. It's like an outdoor room, basically, and there's still like reptiles and alligators or whatever that are crawling around ready to bite you, and you've got to be on guard. You know, that's that first step where you're kind of like, okay, yeah, I, I didn't commit, I, I just went to confession, but I'm not really that resolved to not commit another mortal sin. I hope I don't, but whatever. Like, I'm not ready to really make resolve against that. Okay, that's the very beginning of the purgative way. At least you're in the state of grace. But to progress through the purgative stage, the first stage, we need to start trying to develop virtue and order in our life. To root out sin that is killing our soul. To get out of those occasions of sin that are going to continually bog my soul down and and lead me to offend God you start to just take more seriously not just some you know fairy tale notion of heaven and hell but you start to take that speculative idea and turn it into a practical reality for your will of like okay if this could lead me to eternal damnation forever nothing changing that if i if i go to this occasion and this that could happen like what am i thinking if i could go there and they might shoot me there's no way i'm going there how much more if my soul is in jeopardy, right? So you start to think in this way. That's the purgative way. You're purging out your old, the old man that's lukewarm about these things, that doesn't care about God, that doesn't care about your soul, and you're starting to unroot these, these lies that our faith is now, as it's becoming more alive, is starting to warn us, okay, I need to, I've got so much dirt all over me. I'm just, you know, I'm barely just scraping out of the mud. I need to clean myself off from some of this just to be able to see what am I actually dealing with here. So let me ask just to make sure we get this right. Um, since we're going to zero in here on the purgative way right now and discuss it and its characteristics, I might help to know the start and the end, how I identify and know like, well, right now I'm in the purgative way. Do I have it correct in that basically if you're in a state of grace, so, for example, you've been baptized, and obviously you're not conscious of mortal sin. You can never know for sure, because that's also something only God judges. But let's say, to the best of my knowledge, I'm in the state of grace, right? Go to confession, things like that. Then you know that you'd be in the purgative way. And then how would you sort of know that maybe the purgative way is over? Is there any kind of telltale sign that you're out of it? And once we know the starting point and the ending point, we can maybe yeah. also get a better sense of what the battle is to get from point A, start to point B, end of the purgative way, because we all want to get through the purgative way and keep moving and growing. Yep. Yeah. And so and I would say that starting point is a really weak starting point in terms of like you basically are if all it is is like, I hope I think I'm in the state of grace. And that's, you know, as long as I'm that like everything else is good. I don't really care. I don't want to love God. I just want to make sure that I'm in the state of grace. Like that's you're barely hanging on by a third needle, and you don't even know if you're actually in the state of grace. Okay, so like you can hope, but that mindset is not a good sign. Uh, but the and this point, is by a lot of people who crack those jokes, saying, "Well, I'm just going to squeak into purgatory." I mean, how many times I've heard Catholics say that? You know, like you know, so the door's going to shut. Now I'm going to be like barely sliding in. I think that if you've heard that, or if you said that, or if you think that, I think this is what Kevin's just describing. That this, yep. you're hanging by a by the slimmest thread. Okay, so that's the start, and that's not good, and we definitely got to be moving forward. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I've been going on rant about that, but it's just like it surrounds us. So, okay, so the end in mind of the purgative stage is where you have order in your life, a general sense of more external order. Mortal sin is not something that's happening. Um, I mean, maybe very infrequently a mortal sin happens here or there, but it's certainly not anything habitual. You're not even habitually tempted to that. Broadly speaking, it can be, but in terms of like it really might happen, like someone who's an addict or whatever, like that's habitual, right? That's different than, hey, we're tempted to, we're all tempted to stuff, but like it's likely to happen. It's not. And you have a daily prayer life. So you have basic things such as the daily rosary and daily meditation as habits. And you're making an active effort, not just to unroot mortal sin, but you're actually making an active effort to really start to unroot venial sins. That's real effort. And so that's why it transitions to the second stage through. You've probably heard the, the notion of the dark night of the senses. There's the dark night of the soul. A lot of people think, you know, I, I feel really bad and depressed. I must be going through the dark night of the soul. I can just about guarantee you're not. <laughs> Maybe you ate too many Twinkies and you just <laughs> <laughs> you, feel, you feel a little bloated. But, you know, that's not the dark night. I can guarantee you that. But the dark night of the senses is more frequent for sure. And that's where your senses are being purged. And that's why this whole concept of everything, it's, it's growth and virtue. It's rooting out vice. It's rooting out attachments so that your soul can be more and more pure because the pure of heart shall see God in contemplation and in heaven. And so this is purging ourselves to love God more, to, for him to infuse more and more of his life, his grace, and his charity in our soul. That's going to happen through our prayer life, especially in the next few stages. But the first stage is especially about purging and disposing ourselves so that we can go through the darkness of the senses where God is the one who's he's starting to actually purge in a mystical way our soul. And it's not going to be super pleasant. OK, but at the same time, there's a there's a certain spiritual delight, a spiritual palate that we can start developing because we're not. So, you know, if you think of your soul as just like you've got a bunch of receptors, if your soul is just plugged up with all these attachments, you have no receptors no capacity to even sense anything spiritual, to taste anything spiritual. And so this purgative stage is getting us to the point where we're disposed. We have the right habits in place externally so that that more deeper activity of God can start taking place. Those receptors are more open for him to start working on a more spiritual level. Does that give you an idea, David? I think so. I mean, just to recap real quick, then. So we're saying that maybe the purgative phase is coming to an end when, again, there's no mortal sin and you've developed a daily routine of prayer life, and you're consistent with it. So therefore, there's also order and discipline in your life. You're, you know, you're keeping your daily duty. Uh, I imagine you're also really, well, maybe also rooted out. What's What would be the deal like with habitual venial sin? Would habitual venial sin also have already been rooted out? Um, and then, like, detachment from the world. Yeah, that's just what you were talking about, the receptors here. And I mean, those are definitely difficult things They maybe gauge, as we say, the world is all sucking us back in, but I imagine there has to be a, maybe a certain level of detachment. So I'm kind of trying to figure out, yeah, habitual sin, detachment from the world. And then the third thing is, is this dark night of the senses then sort of like the transitory phase where you're going to move out of the purgative into possibly the, the second phase, the illuminative? Or? Yeah, yeah. so yes to the last one. It's a transition. Kind of, and again, these like blend the dark night of senses kind of can start in the purgative and then blends into the, the illuminative, the second stage. But uh, to answer the second question about detachment from the world, yeah, that, that's a really critical piece in here, especially in that stage from at the very beginning of the purgative stage where you almost just like don't care 
to the point where you've cared so much. You started developing not just prayer every here and there and not just I didn't I didn't commit us in here, but you've overcome all that habitually. You've been doing it over and over and over. It's through repetition and daily, you know, the daily grind, so to speak. The, a big part of that is getting out of the occasions of sin. So an easy one would be like, say, a young guy in college who likes to party and there's temptations there of the flesh and of the intemperance and things like that. So or even just, you know, vanity and, and ideologies, bad language, all that kind of stuff, frat life. You realize, OK, I wanted a conversion. I just there's this whole environment over here that's not healthy. The friends, everything like that is just not good to be around a lot. So you start to detach from those things and get out of the occasions of sin. That's a big part of this whole transition. And then uh, your first question was uh, regarding habitual, habitual, being habitual, being sin. Yeah. So I think that it could technically, you know, toward the end be there if it's habitual and you're, I mean, there has to be resistance. If your will is committing deliberate habitual venial sins and you're not actively like, okay, I wish I didn't do this and I don't want to do it. That's different than like, man, I just can't get up in the morning on time and I really want to, but you know, like it's, that's a struggle of that's weakness more so than it is in your will. Like, I'm deliberately like, yep, I know I do this. I know it offends God. It's not grave. I'm just going to keep doing it and I'm not going to put up a fight. That couldn't correspond. That's where you're, you're hitting a plot. You're going to have, you, maybe you're not at the very, you know, in the moat or you're not just right next to the moat, but you're basically accepting you're going to hit a plateau. And that's very dangerous because inevitably, like what we said, we got this stream going like this. That's going to, it's going to carry you away. So you never want to settle for that. And the big idea with all this is, if you just look at the cross and you look at our Lord, you know, crucified, look how much he gave. He didn't put a limit on how much he was willing to love and to give you. And so our generosity has to, we have to at least give a little bit, right, to say I love God and I'm not just going to go for minimalism. A lot of these things, like if you were married and someone asked you to give this or that up because it's destroying your relationship, you're going to think about that if you actually care about the relationship. So I think the same would apply to the spiritual life. So then I guess fighting habitual sin, I would tell people, like, I imagine here, most Catholics, again, let's already take it that you are in the state of grace and you're actually, let's say, you know, trying to live the Catholic faith, which if you're watching this, I imagine you're in that group because otherwise you're probably not watching this or maybe you're going to get there, grace of God. But anyway, so most of our audience, I imagine, would probably be in the purgative way. And therefore, I would also say that most likely all the other shows that we've been discussing, especially, for example, the, the essential resolutions, the mental prayer, spiritual reading, the daily rosary. Even when we talked about last time in contemplation, being confident and trusting in God and having that faith that God does want to give this yep. gift to you, having a plan, a plan of life. These are all the things that we've been discussing in the previous, I believe, there are nine or ten shows. That really is what a person needs to sort of zero in on, right, while they're in the purgative stage. You know, obviously, people can watch those, can go back, hopefully you're, you're Moving along with those, anything else maybe here as we start getting close to wrap it up that would really help someone in the purgative stage that you can think of, Kevin, to, to get out of that and move in to the next phase? Yeah, I really have to go back to mental prayer. Um, if you have that intimate contact with Christ, it changes everything because, you know, we talked about how the Buddhist mindset is much more like white knuckle. I'm going to do this. It's my strength. And you burn out from that. And so with the purgative stage, there is a lot of you, a lot of that fighting on in your own sort of power, so to speak, and God, it's always God ultimately has power underneath. But 
it's not the same thing as later on when he's mystically operating through you. There's, there's a lot of ascetical activity going on here. And amidst that, the most helpful thing you can have is a great friend and the best friend you can have is Christ. And so if you converse with him, it makes everything else easier because if, if he's, if all he is is just a picture to you, then it's not a deep enough motive for you to continue to be rejuvenated amidst this fight to get to that end goal. You need that personal love and intimacy with him to be able, be able to see why does this matter so much? You know, mortal sin. Oh yeah. I don't like, why does it matter? Venial sin. Like who cares? It's just a rule. I'm trying not to break this rule. I'm playing a game here. It's not the same thing as this is a person I love. And this is in his, he's in my soul and I'm, I'm shooting him in my soul. If I commit a moral sin, I am punching him in the face. I'm committing a venial, a deliberate venial sin. That's what I'm doing. And so when you come into prayer, it brings it all alive, but it also brings alive the positive side that it isn't all just drudgery. You know, his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And if you actually have that friendship with him, then it colors everything in a very supernatural way that you can't put into words. One other quick question I had, I don't know if you can address this, but people hear the word purgative for most Catholics that might very quickly evoke purgatory. Yeah. Is there any kind of connection here? Linguistically, there certainly is. Is there kind of a connected between what purgatory is and this purgative way we're talking about? Yeah, well, it's just beautiful because you see Catholic theology and the spiritual life and all of it coming together because of the life of grace. It ties in the theology of the Trinity and the incarnation to my own daily life and where my soul is going and the trajectory I'm on. Because, yeah, the purgative stage shows here all the attachments and sins and everything that need to be rooted out for me to, as we said, have the purity of my soul to be able to see God. And what's the end of mind is the beatific vision to see God forever in heaven, I need to be purged to have that purity. And so if I die and I'm still, you know, I still have all these attachments on my soul isn't ready to see him perfectly forever in heaven. That's, and this is why as seeing the indulgences from this perspective makes them so much more valuable, you know, but it also shows why we need to be of the right disposition to actually receive these graces, right? And I think it adds a, mo- a greater weight and onus on us to really not just try to, you know, play it easy with, well, if I did this and this, then I should be good. But like, really realize the gravity of how perfect God wants us to be and we are supposed to be in heaven and and where we are right now should help us understand also or help those who aren't Catholic understand, yeah, it makes sense. When I die, if I'm not like really purified and made a saint yet, I want to be purified so that I can see God more clearly. So my soul is freed up of all these attachments to live fully and for me to flourish, the seed to flourish as a huge oak tree and not just stay as this tiny little brown little like rock looking thing right right because you Um, can't stay at that level right i mean that that's what really helps me and and gives me some kind of encouragement is that this purgation is not an option it must happen right if you don't have an option you're either gonna do it now or or do it later right but but it's not an option so if i don't allow god to, to purgate me now to purify me now then it's going to be in purgatory and actually it's going to hurt a lot more and it's going to be a lot more difficult. And in purgatory, you're, all, you're not even in control of it, right? Because you're a bodiless soul. So you're totally dependent, for example, on the prayers of others. Uh, whereas right now I can actually do something about it and it won't hurt nearly as much. Again, that is God's mercy at work, giving me the time now. So I think if we take that vision or that perspective and we realize it must happen. Obviously, for the ones that go to hell, it goes on and on and on and on for all eternity, that purgation, because they didn't do it. So it's 
you know, for guys, you know, you got to work on your car a bit. You got to make sure the oils change. You got to do some, some basic maintenance. Um, if you drive your car always and never change the oil at some point in time, the whole thing breaks down and it's a lot worse. Yeah. So yeah, one yeah, pre- pay now or pay later, but you're going to pay and it's better to pay now because you avoid a lot of the, the pain later. And we merit here below. So, I mean, even what I said about the growing piece, it's not even exactly right. The, the analogy starts to break down because you can't grow anymore once you die. This life is the only time you get to grow. And then it's not like, well, that means, you know, if you die as a, a child, you're going to be a child forever in heaven. But it's more like the analogy that's used is, is like a bowl. If you have clay, a bunch of clay, and you're boring out a bowl, in this life you get to bore out the bowl and then when you die, it can be filled up. And if you have holes in it and all that, which a lot of people do, unless you're a saint, those need to be filled up. And that's the filling up happens in purgatory. Those little holes are the gaps are filled up. But the boring out to make the bowl bigger and bigger can't be done anymore. So that once you go to heaven, it gets filled all the way as far as it can. So you're, you're perfectly happy in that sense. But in another sense, it could have been bored out a whole lot more if you just have a tiny little teacup, you know, whereas you could have been this giant lake which is what God does with the saints. And that means they can see God. They can be filled up with more of his life forever in heaven. And so you, you enjoy God. Mary enjoys God. She's like the ocean, you know. She just enjoys God so much. So that that's the kind of degrees of glory, which St. Teresa of Avila said. She, she was given a vision, I believe, of it. And she said we should not diminish how much difference the degrees of glory in heaven really are. She says they're just so drastically different. Um, and so we should be aiming for the absolute heights. Yeah, well, I really like what you said, too, about connecting the theology and all those different things, because all of us, you live out your faith and you really come into contact with the faith through the liturgy. And so I think we also see parallels there with this purgative way. Uh, we're going to be starting Lent soon. Yeah. Uh, for those who, of course, follow the traditional calendar and the way it used to be for you know hundreds and thousands of years, you actually have a pre-Lenten period. Right? We call it the Septuagesima period, two and a half weeks before Ash Wednesday, because by the time Ash Wednesday rolls around, uh, I believe it's March 2nd this year, but you're supposed to be already running full speed into those penances to be purging yourself. And so you do need a little, you need a warm up. Just like, you know, when you run a race, you got to warm yourself up. You got to get those muscles warmed up. You know, you're going to play basketball, as we've talked before. You got to practice your shot before you can get to the game. Yeah. Um, well, tomorrow uh, is Septuagesima Sunday. And it's the time to really already begin our Lenten practices. The priests will begin to wear purple. And you certainly see a parallel here where Septuagesima season and Lent season are purging us. They're a time that just constantly keeps reminding you, you need this, right? You need this purging so that, of course, then you can get to the more glorious aspects, these degrees of glory, which, you know, are going to be obviously sort of initiated, kicked off with, with Easter. And again, there's that whole beatific vision. Now God is in his glory and the apostles and Mary Magdalene are getting to see him. So as we work our way up to that, the church and her wisdom knows we need this every year, right? And that's why we do it. I always wonder what people are like that aren't liturgical, like a lot of the Protestant denominations that don't actually have a Lent. Like they're missing this whole concept. Yeah. Um, you know, Easter obviously isn't that glorious either, but this real deep, powerful connection, you know, the church and her wisdom gives us liturgical year for a reason. I mean, it's inspired by the Holy Ghost. Uh, we've got to do our best to live it. So it's great that we're having these talks right now so that people can really kick themselves into spiritual gear and start doing the different things we've been talking about over the last 10 days to really work hard getting through that purgative stage as much as they can, detaching from the world this, this Lent. Absolutely. I don't know, any other parting words or should we just hold off until next time and we'll cover them then? 
I would just say, remember, you have one soul and one life and one eternity. And uh, now's the time to to prepare because you never know when your your time might come. All right. Well, let's go ahead and close with uh, Hail Mary, invoking our Blessed Mother's aid. And then we will see you next time when we start talking about more in depth, the illuminative way and, and maybe even the unitive way if, if Kevin takes us there. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you to your audience for joining us. We'll see you next time. Kevin, thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks, David. God bless everyone. This presentation has been brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. For more resources regarding the spiritual life, the Catholic faith, and the message of Fatima, and to support our vital apostolate with a donation, please visit our website, Fatima.org, or call us at 1-800-263-8160. May all we do be for the greater glory of God and the salvation of souls. St. Teresa of Avila, pray for us.